City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. City, it's your man Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets, and you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Welcome to the Hornets Draft Show. Joining me in Chase this week, we have Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated, the go-to NBA draft reporter, one of the best NBA mock draft guys out there. Um, he's we're recording this just a week after the NBA draft combines. He's just come back from the draft combine. Um, sure, he's got a lot of thoughts. But uh, Jeremy, thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, no, of course, of course. It's uh, it's a fun time of year. I think uh, we're all kind of curious to see what's going to happen, and uh, you know, there'll be a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't know about um, too. So um, yeah, the combine's always fun, very exhausting, but uh, I think we learned we learned a lot. So. And I think, you know, what does this next month look like for you? I mean, we're, we're about a month out from the draft now. What is your general, like, day-to-day schedule? Now Combine's over. What, what, how, does it, how does it look for you? Yeah, um, it's very irregular. I mean, like, you know, there's some, you know, obviously I, I write a couple times a week, so I'm always kind of working on something. Um, and, you know, I watch, you know, at this point, like most of the actual work in terms of, like, watching games and, film that stuff's you know it's been done yeah I go to a ton of games during the season so um you know a lot of that anything else I'm doing is more like last minute like something I didn't watch enough of or something I want to watch again like uh you know I'm going back and watching games too uh and then I have to spend a lot of time on my phone uh making calls and trying you know trying to basically keep the pulse of what's happening um from home but luckily uh, I don't have too much travel coming up uh until summer league so it'll be a little bit less hectic uh on that front so would you would you say I was going to ask you that? Do you think you do a lot more of your traveling like pre combine, like during the season, to like to go around and watch players and kind of network and all that thing than you do in the next month? Because I uh, imagine yeah. a lot of these workouts are pretty private. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there's only so much I can see. You know, I mean, the pro days at the combine I can go to, and then you know, there are pro days in uh, LA this week that I chose not to go to because I wasn't trying to like exhaust myself uh, and you know do right. all the travel. <laughs> yeah, but, right. Um, you know, I mean, the, the actual value of individual workouts is kind of debatable anyway. A lot of the time teams are, you know, not, not, don't really want to be there, but they go anyway. Um, so I opted out of that. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, there, there are other things going on, like in the next couple of weeks, like USA Basketball is doing a thing with uh, the younger guys and, you know, Pangos Camp is coming up. But I'm, this year, just, I decided to just stay home. But yeah, I mean, during the year, I mean, I, I went to 60 something college games. I don't remember the exact number in person. And then, um, you know, also high school and overtime elite. And I think my total was like almost like 80 games this year. So it was a lot. Yeah, a you lot. were grinding. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, I, I know pro days, like everyone who goes to them says they're a waste of time, but of all the pro days you've kind of, you've, you have seen or you've heard, is, is there one thing or anyone in particular who is maybe, been able to show something that they didn't get to do in their role while at college or what's the kind of one pro day thing that you maybe take away from this and kind of store in your head as a bit of, ah, oh, that's actually useful information or, or is there just nothing? Um, yeah. I mean, like, I, I think, you know, I was at pretty much all of them. Um, I think, you know, the guy who had, I thought just like the most um, like high energy pro day was, was Jeremy Sohan. Like 
it was fun to watch him actually. Um, he didn't shoot it great, but he shot it to me like well enough that I'm not like super worried about that. But I, I thought he had a really good pro day. Um, some of the guys like Patrick Baldwin shot it really well at his pro day. And like, you know, I mean, I think we all know he can shoot, but it's, you know, good to reinforce some of that stuff. Um, if you're a guy like him where, uh, you know, there is some, you know, question about, you know, where you should be drafted. And there are some scouts who are, you know, pretty down uh, on a guy like that who's polarizing, right? So like, I mean, the Shaden Sharp was the other one just because nobody had really seen him, uh, you know, being able to be there. And again, it was like mixed reviews because you can see the talent, but also like, you know, teams didn't feel like he was going super hard um, the whole time, which I think is fair to say. So, but you know, all these things are, they mattered at varying degrees and it would be hard for me to come away like overly negative um, in most cases of anything either. Um, but it's, it's, it's useful to see uh, for me, particularly in the cases of guys who like, I didn't see enough during the year or like some of the European guys who were, who were here uh, just seeing them do anything is at least like an input for your brain. And if anyone needs a reminder that pro days really are, kind of useless when it comes to draft stock. I think Sharif Cooper got like a standing ovation at last year's draft combine, didn't he? After going through like a workout with his dad and everyone was buzzing and then like dropped until the second round. So I think everyone was buzzing about that workout and it just, it did very little for his draft stock in the end. Yeah, I, I wasn't at that one, but I, I think you're right. I think that's what happened. And uh, yeah, it just, it just goes to show, like don't assume anything, so... Okay, so we're going to touch on kind of a, a, a wide range of topics today, get a little bit about kind of your process of working in the scouting and the mock drafting industry, um, and then also look at some kind of what trades could look like for the Hornets, some of the prospects the Hornets could be interested in, and we want to get your take on some of the international players too. So Chase, why don't you, you kick us off? So I think that, you know, obviously everybody loves mock drafts, you know, that we even people in, like NFL fans love waiting for NFL mock drafts. NBA fans love waiting for these ones. It's kind of just like a universal thing for fans of teams that aren't necessarily in the playoff hunt. But it's definitely something that like takes a lot more like thought and work to go into than it just seems on the surface. Just listing out you know thirty names and attaching them to a team. What is like your process for creating a mock draft, and how does that like evolve throughout the draft process? Because obviously you know way more at certain points than you do at other points in the process. So like, when does it, does it start as like mostly personal thoughts on what a team could do and then eventually blend into like Intel and things that you've heard, or is it kind of always like a balance of both? Yeah. Um, it does kind of depend on what time of year it is. Um, you know, I, I think it just kind of reflects too that, um, you know, even in the NBA, like no one knows exactly what's going to happen uh, at a certain stage. Right. So like, um, for me, you know, early in this season, you know, I'm watching as much as I can, but you can't see everything. Right. So like usually by like mid season, you've watched, you know, pretty much all the main prospects and it's become kind of clear, like who the names are uh, in most cases. So like, uh, you know, early in the year, it's a little bit more speculative. I mean, you know, I, I'm constantly kind of talking to teams and part of why I go to so many games is because it gives me a chance to, you know, catch up with people uh, on the road as well. Um, so you know, there's just constantly like a lot of different inputs and it becomes kind of like a feel exercise. Um, you know, there's certain things that like, you know, early in the year, like I care a lot more about having like a roughly accurate, like top five or top 10 or whatever, like just like knowing who those names are is probably a little bit more important because it's a little bit less fluid. Uh, whereas like, you know, if I had someone 27 in, in November and now they're 55, like, yeah, you know, it's like, 
not that crazy. Things like that can fluctuate, right? So this time of year, it becomes a lot more, you know, I'll do the big board, which is, you know, much more my opinion. Um, but, uh, you know, this time of year, the mock draft is really like trying to project what's going to happen, uh, you know, very much like working behind the scenes to try to, you know, understand that. And, you know, not everything I, I don't write everything I know that's going into it, but like uh, for different reasons, but, you know, I definitely think about everything I'm doing when I'm doing it this time of year. Um, so it becomes more Intel driven the closer we get to the draft as well. So this is something I always find fascinating. So you go to a game, right. To scout a prospect. Do you like already know who the scouts are and you just kind of like, if you've not met them before, walk up to them and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm Jeremy. Or like, how does that whole dynamic work? Like, can I have your number? <laughs> like, how, how does that work? Um, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Like at this point, I kind of at least know who's a scout. Um, I don't, it's not like I'm talking to every single person in the gym. Like I have, you know, people who I've known for longer, people who I have great relationships with around the NBA who, you know, I genuinely, it's just nice to catch up. It's not like I approach every conversation just like, I need Intel. Like, you know, that would be the wrong way. I need to go about it. Um, so it's a lot more, probably a lot more chill than it sounds. It's not like, it's not like I'm like trying to ask everybody out on a date, you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, you do it long enough to you go, you go to enough things and you start, you know, understand, you know, who the people are and, you know, faces and you know sometimes people will see me around because i go to a lot of games so it, it makes it easier to just you know have a conversation uh and whatnot but uh by no means is it like every every person i talk to is like i'm trying to gather information that's like not really how i do my job um you know i genuinely enjoy the relationship aspect of it and you meet a lot of interesting people um you know yeah. who work in, in in the nba so um i approach it more like that cool so there, over the last couple of years, uh, James and I actually did a podcast on this probably about this time last year was the characteristics that the Hornets seem to kind of gravitate towards uh, in draft prospects. And you obviously have a lot more, you know, NBA intel on this than we do. Uh, is there any type like a, I would, an archetype, I would say, of prospects that the Hornets tend to target? Not necessarily like who they pick, but like guys they interview or tend to work out or just, you know, generally seem to be more interested in uh, than others other than, you know, the, the stereotypical old college player or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like you know, everybody, <laughs> everybody knows that I think, uh, you know, MJ, MJ loves the uh, established yeah. college players, but also I think like in recent years, you know, it's harder to say that that's necessarily a trend just because of how much, um, you know, just the landscape is, has changed in general. Um, right. I mean, if you just think about where players are coming from, um, and, you know, how there, there are just generally like fewer, you know, college upperclassmen who are, you know, highly regarded prospects right now, if, if the Hornets had won the lottery, would we be saying, oh, they're going to take Keegan Murray? Like, I don't think so, <laughs> but I do think yeah. it's a consideration. I do think it's a consideration, um, you know, for me, and this is not Intel based, but just like looking at what they've done, uh, it, it does kind of make sense where, you know, now that, you know, you have LaMelo in place, like you, you probably want to be a transition team, right? You want to play to his strengths. Like no matter who you are, you know, you need to know who your, you know, your stars are and how to sort of surround, what to surround them with. So if you look at last year's draft, I mean, book James Booknight and Kai Jones, two really good athletes uh, who are not necessarily ready for NBA minutes, but um, you know, I, I still feel pretty good about Booknight, like being something Kai Jones, who knows. Um, but, you know, I, I think they have to be cognizant of that. You know, they want to be a transition team. They need shooting, um, you know, they want to put the right pieces around him. Right. And you know, it's like, he made miles bridges look really, really good. Um, he, you know, he definitely helped miles bridges make a lot of money from whatever his, you know, whether it's in Charlotte or wherever. 
Um, so I think that's something that you look at. And, and then also, you know, obviously they've kind of like been dancing around getting a center for however many drafts now, and they haven't really found the guy, right? They've taken they, a lot of best tried Vernon yeah. Carey, Nick Richards, yeah. Kai yeah, Jones, yeah. like they've, they've given it a go. <laughs> right. Right. So, so, you know, I, I think they'll probably continue the quest to um, hopefully so. find a center. You know, I don't know if it'll be this draft, but like that has to be something that's probably on their mind too. Hmm. And I think one thing a lot of Hornets fans are anticipating and, and expecting is that with so many rookie contracts already on the team and wanting to win now and having those two late lottery picks is to try and package them together to go get a player. Um, and kind of curious to you, really, I mean, you, you've probably got a good handle of the value of picks as probably anyone there is out there, uh, at least in the public sphere. So, like, you know, if you're packaging... 13 and 15 to move up in the draft. I know it always depends on what the other team are wanting to do, but how far do you think that, what sort of range do you think that gets you in? And, and if you added someone like a, a PJ Washington, you know, to, to that, do, do you think that makes any sizable difference about kind of where you can get up to in the lottery? And, and do you anticipate that being something that Charlotte looks at? Yeah. Um, well, look, I, I was thinking about this and, it, obviously it really depends on who is available and where you want to get. Um, I think, you know, feasibly looking at the way that, you know, this draft shook out. I mean, I would think, you, you know, I, like I know Portland is going to take calls on seven just because of where they are, you know, trying to improve. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think just those two picks would get you to seven, but like you said, if you do throw a player in there, like maybe you can at least have that discussion, right? Like, uh, you know, beyond that, it might be tricky. I mean, like Portland doesn't really need rookies, right? So I don't know how much appeal those That's those picks thing. would have. Like, I, I think if you're Portland, uh, it probably makes more sense to, uh, you know, target like the best player you can get with that pick because you're you're the, the volume of the picks is not necessarily important. And I think you could say the same thing. You know, if you just go down the list, um, you know, if you look at uh, New Orleans, like they don't need to take you know two rookies. You know, they'll probably roster one. I don't know if they need to roster two. Um, San Antonio, they already have three first round picks. So I don't know if that gets you to nine. Um, but you know, you could start with Washington, you know, maybe you can get to 10 if Washington's like, we'll just move back. Like that's something that I could think could be feasible. Um, if you really want to try to get to 11 for some a player you love, you know, maybe you can get to 11, uh, then no one ever really goes up one spot. Right. But that, that's kind of what I think is feasible. Like if they try to do that, um, but it's just a matter of who you're targeting and yeah, really what the market is for the pick too. Whether, you know, what other offers are you know going out there for it. I, th- I think a lot of Hornets fans, their, their hope is, and because it just makes sense on paper is Jalen Duran, right? You know, the Hornets need a big, who's the best big in the class, like, you know, outside of the, outside of something like Chet. Jalen Duran is kind of consensus, the guy. And I think a lot of people are beginning to think like, could you, could you package those to move up to get someone like Duran? But from what you say there, it, it kind of feels like it's more like the, the 10, the 10 range rather than the, the seven, eight range. Yeah. Um, so, so like, I, I think if you just look at, I mean, look, I mean, we know Chet's going to be gone. Um, you know, I, I think it's possible that Jalen Duran honestly is there. Uh, I, I don't think that I've, I've heard as much like excitement about Jalen Duran from teams at all at any point in the season as I have you know, what I've read online. Um, you know, I just, I think, you know, Dern and Mark Williams, um, you know, are the two, you know, I, I don't really consider who I'm going to choose center anyway. So, 
you know, Duran and, and Williams are going to probably be the, the two first centers drafted. Um, I think it's entirely possible that Williams uh, leapfrogs Duran at this point, um, just wow. because I think he's, he's more reliable. He's much, much bigger, has better tools. Um, I, you know, I think for, you know, your typical like non-shooting center prospect, I think Williams has a lot to offer um, just because he, he is just so enormous and he has pretty good hands and, um, you know, he's gotten better at a pretty good rate. Um, where, whereas like Duran, you know, he's, he's listed at 6'11", but I don't think he's 6'11". Like he's more like 6'8 or 6'9". Um, you know, from having seen it in person, like no one believes that that guy is 6'11". Um, and, you know, there just have always been questions about Duran playing hard, uh, which, you know, I think he kind of dispelled a little bit at Memphis, but like that's something that you got to prove over time, right? So like I don't think – I think there's a little bit of, you know, concern just about – you know, the motor with him and the size and just generally like his feel. But again, he's so much younger uh, than the other guys. He's one of the youngest players in the draft. That I think you can, you can say, Hey, maybe this guy does get there in time. But at the same time, uh, if you just think about, um, you, I mean, already drafting a center, it's like a somewhat replaceable position now. So it's, if you're going to spend a draft pick on a center, like I think you'd hope that guy can like play right away. Um so I personally think Williams is actually a better fit for, for Charlotte uh, just because defensively he's, I think he's going to give you a lot more uh, in terms of like um, just like dissuading people from getting into the paint just because he's so gigantic. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know what they'll do, um, but I would think that if, you know, one of those two guys is there at 13, it's something that they think hard about. I feel like Mitch Kochet must be pulling his hair out because he's been quite clearly devaluing the center position for a number of years. <laughs> but it's just actually really hurt the team. Like we, we desperately need a center, even though like around the NBA, everyone's been like, don't spend money on centers, but Charlotte just seems to be kind of the complete inverse. So that's how it feels. I mean, I, I think the key things for Hans to realize, I think some fans think they're going to add a big and the defensive issues will be solved. And we've just seen that with like, even Utah with Rudy Gobert this year in the playoffs, like cannot cover up all the mistakes. And there is a lot of defensive issues on that point. It's roster. So Okay, no, that, that's that's really great insight there. And in, interesting thoughts from Jalen Duran. Just in general, as like a general question, do you see there being like a lot of movement in this draft or compared to other years uh, as much in terms of trades? Because well, like you said, like Portland doesn't need two rookies. And like a lot of the other teams in that range really aren't in a position to trade down and have multiple picks rather than one top 10 pick for you know varying reasons. But do you anticipate a lot of you know, phone calls and stuff like that on, on draft night this year. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think, um, you know, part of it is that, I mean, look, the, the, the very top picks rarely move, but I do think like, you know, there are, you know, the way I look at it, you know, there are 10, 10 or 11, you know, really good prospects uh, I think in the draft that are you know, pretty interesting to me. So like, you know, anytime you're not in that range and you maybe want to get into that range and you think you can do it. Uh, and if you consider again, like, seven, eight, nine, 10, you know, those are picks that, you know, could feasibly come up uh, for teams trying to improve. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there'll be a lot of at least discussion about it. Like, you know, the truth is every year we're like, Oh, there's going to be so many trades. And then at the end of the day, a lot of don't happen. Um, but I do think also that like the way that I'd put it is like, you know, once you get past the top group um, you know, the talent curve in this draft like flattens out a lot. Uh, so there's a lot of variance of opinion around the NBA right now, you know, depending on who you talk to, uh, you know, as to like who, you know, 13, 14, 15, all the way through, you know, 35 to 40, like you can argue a lot of that stuff, a lot of different ways. Um, and so I think, you know, 
as that sort of crystallizes and teams kind of realize like, Hey, we can get to this spot and get our guy. Um, you know, that's often how that happens um, is once you figure out like where you are relative to the consensus uh, and what the cost is to get a player, you like maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, that's when, you know, those, those, those things start to become serious. So I don't think the market is like fully materialized yet in terms of who's going to move. Uh, but I do think, and, you know, and also on the flip side, like if you can trade back and still get a guy at, you know, 20, if you want it at 15 or 16, uh, maybe you do it. Right. So uh, I, I would expect that just because of all the difference of opinion um, that those type of deals do materialize. So if I had to guess, I think there'll be some movement. What point in the draft cycle do teams generally have a good idea of like who each other, which way the draft order is going to go? Is it like draft day or because there's normally gets to a point where, you know, you hear stories in the draft and people go, well, we knew team X wasn't going to take Y. So we knew person was going to be there. And, and I know it's not always guaranteed, but when do you think, is there like a certain point? Is it a week away? Is it the day of day before where people kind of like, right, we feel pretty good that this is how it's going to play out in at least certain areas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why, um, you know, gathering intel is, is so important. Like I think that, you know, for different teams, it could happen at different times, you know, depending on the quality or, you know, what information that you have, but it's, you know, it's a constant process, you know, basically from the lottery onward, um, you know, basically to try to figure out what's going to happen. Um, so it's sort of like, you know, what I'm doing with the mock draft, you know, teams are doing the same thing, uh, you know, on the backside, um, you know, trying to basically mock the draft and understand who's going to be there. Uh, Cause you want to have basically the, you know, the best possible feel for it uh, in order to know who you can get or, you know, the value of a certain pick or what trade you want to make, et cetera. Right. So like, I don't know if I have a great answer as to like when, um, but I think obviously everybody is hoping that by the week of the draft, they have at least a sense. Um, but again, it's very much like an imperfect process because it's, it's so much based on Intel and being able to trust the Intel that you get. Um, so, you know, I don't think it ever really stops to be honest. <laughs> I think you're always hoping that you can, you know, know uh, ahead of time. So Okay. So you, you touched on Mark Williams. Uh, it's obviously interesting. You like Mark more than, than Duran. Um, one thing we wanted to pick your brains about a little bit was a couple of the international guys. Um, so uh, you've got Jovic, Prashida were the two guys that we're kind of re- really interested in. I know it was Monjang as a guy projected to probably in that, that late lottery area as well. And neither Jovic or Prashida are necessarily... Uh, I don't think, you know, been, been linked to the Hornets or aren't necessarily in the range we expect the Hornets to pick. But nonetheless, like, generally people who watch college basketball over here don't get to watch as much international ball. You will have obviously had to dive into the film now and might have seen various camps over the years. Be just good to get your thoughts on kind of like the international crop in general and then, then those, those two particularly. And then if you've got any thoughts on Jeng as well, like, be good to hear those two. Sure, yeah. I mean... You know, all year what I've been hearing from the you know the international scouts that I trust, uh, it's that it's not a great international class in terms of like top end talent, uh, which I think is reflected kind of in what we're seeing how the, you know the, how this is kind of shaken out. Um, you know, I think you know Jovic and Jang, I think will both be first round picks. Um, I, I don't have as great a feel for Jovic as I do for some of these other guys. Um, yeah, you know, I watched a few of his games and. You know, I was at his pro day and he actually, he shoots it really, really well. Like he shoot it, he shot it better than I expected. And he's, you know, he's got great size. Um, so I think, you know, his skill level at that size, uh, despite the fact he's not a great athlete, I think is something you can kind of talk yourself into, uh, you know, going back to like the Hornets. I don't know if it makes sense just because, you know, if they want to be a transition team, I don't know. I don't know if he really fits that. I don't know if he, you know, there's a pretty good chance he's some, 
sort of liability on, on defense, but um, they're definitely an interesting player. Um, someone who I actually want to go watch more of um, moving forward, um, you know, before the draft, like I'm still, you know, now that I've seen, you know, his size in person, I think I can kind of like piece it together better. Um, and, you know, in the case of Jang, like, yeah, I mean, I think he could go his size, late lottery could fall into the twenties. Uh, but I think, I think most people think he'll probably go, you know, somewhere in between, 12 and, you know, 18, 12, and 20. Um, but he, he's someone who I think a lot of people are interested in just with his, uh, you know, he did kind of improve as the year went on. Like he, he wasn't playing well to start the year um, in New Zealand and kind of turned it up as it went on. And you can kind of see from watching him, just he kind of has the the base, like pastorable shoot uh, skill set. Like, you know, I compared him a little bit. This is kind of, I don't know if it's lazy, but but like Nicholas Batum type of offensive skill set um, in terms of just uh, – you know, it doesn't have a ton of holes, but also isn't like elite at anything. Um, and he's got great size. Uh, so, you know, I worry a little bit, a little bit about him athletically, like not being like super explosive or strong. Um, you know, it's something that I would have to, you know, dig into like heavily before I took him like for, for both these guys, um, you know, if I were a team. Um, but I, but I think again, it just kind of goes back to this is kind of where the NBA is going. Uh, where if you're going to take, take a chance on developing a guy, you'd, you'd want the guy who's got the size and the, the basic skill set. And I think they both kind of like, you know, check those boxes. Um, so that, the, that's I've, what I'd say. Yeah. The, the best thing about watching film with Jang is that he was on the Breakers, which is also the same team as Hugo Masson. And it essentially meant that you could scout two international prospects at the same time, which in college, like that's fairly a common thing. Like you watch Have No Duke and you can scout loads of people. But like internationally, it's normally like you're watching one guy in the whole court. So I really appreciate, I wish all the international prospects could just go <laughs> same team, like go play together. It just makes life a lot more easier. And an NBL had all their games like streamed on YouTube. So being able to actually get like good quality gen tape is really useful. And, and trying to find like full games of Jovic was something I found really, really difficult. Um, so, so yeah, no, interesting with Jeng. And then... The last guy was Gabriel Procida. Um, actually came over to the draft combine this year and uh, Italian kind of like wing, six, seven shooter, thin, but pretty strong. Um, what are your thoughts on Procida? Like he, he pulled out the draft last year. He's someone actually had, I think, like in the 50s last year. Um, pulled out the draft last year. Numbers kind of look the same this year, but do, do you think it's likely that he's going to stay in this year's draft from what you've heard? Yeah, so I, I don't have anything like direct on that, um, but I do think there's interest like, um, you know, he was someone who I was pleasantly surprised with digging into the film. Um, I was disappointed that he didn't play five on five at the combine. I would like to see that, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's athletic. He can shoot it. He's got a you know good size for a wing. Um, he's a little stiff moving defensively, but like there's stuff to like with him where like, I, I legitimately think if he, you know, if he, especially if he's willing to stay overseas, like he's a pretty decent stash pick. Like he just kind of like checks the boxes that, makes sense uh, for that position. Um, I don't, I don't know what he'll do. I don't, I don't know exactly uh, on that situation. Um, but I, but I do think like there's enough legitimate interest uh, in him um, that he's one of the better, like second round uh, international picks. Yeah. And, and Charlotte are picking number 45 in the second round if they, if they keep that pick. And I think, you know, with the, with the roster current Charlotte facing, I think either two-way players or international draft and stash could be a, a, a real option for Charlotte there at 45. So, um, yeah, I think he's definitely someone that I think Hornets fans should keep an eye out for. Um, not your kind of typical, like, really kind of stiff, unathletic European shooter. He's actually really got some bounce and some some nasty athleticism to him. So, 
Def- definitely an interesting guy. And I, I like it when international com- guys come over to the combine, just like start to get in, get a bunch of workouts in the States. I think it makes T- NBA teams a little bit more confident just in, in, work- in working with them, a little bit less international man of mystery. Um, yeah. And I, I always, speaking of international, I always remember, you know, we're in, we're in pro workout circus, aren't we, at the minute where people playing against chairs. And I always infamously remember when Bismarck Bombo lost against the chair in his draft workout. <laughs> many years ago and Hornet still drafted up to take him. So uh, yeah, fun times from uh, international draft selections for Charlotte in the past. Chase, we're going to move on now into uh, to a little bit about kind of what we think Charlotte should look to try and do in, in the late lottery. So Chase, I'll hand over to you. Yeah. So I, I, I know in your latest mock draft, you had, uh, I think it was O'Shea Abaji at 13 and Mark Williams at 15. It might've been flipped. Was that? I think that was the correct order for Hornets. That was what I had, yeah. Okay, yeah. So what do you think that they, like, should do? Like, if you were you were in charge, what kind of prospects or position groups would you be looking at? I mean, obviously, the whole world knows that they need a center, but uh, you don't necessarily have to draft one at 13 to be to, to find one that you can play as your starter next season. So what, what do you think that you would do uh, if you were the Hornets, given that, you know, the board shakes out in a – at least somewhat normal way. Yeah. So if, if it were me, like, you know, I would, you know, be looking to try to combine the picks to move up just because I think, uh, you know, once you get past, you know, the first 10 or 11 guys, like I just don't feel as good about, um, you know, the guys on the board. Um, I don't know that you know, that's necessarily going to be an easy thing to do just because I don't know how valuable uh, those picks are because you're kind of, they're kind of picking in this range of the draft where you're like kind of picking at the top of a big group of players argue a lot of different ways and you know as i mentioned before so um you know I, i'd love to try to move up um and if, if i couldn't do that um you know obviously you're i think i'd be hoping that one of the you know one of the bigs gets to 13 uh you know if, if williams is there you know i'd feel pretty good about it um i think you know knowing that also it's gonna be interesting knowing that you know presuming that cleveland keeps that pick at 14 you know you have a team sandwich in between the two picks that does definitely does not need a big right so like um, if you don't think Cleveland's going to trade out, like if you know who Cleveland's taking, you can pass on, you know, one of the bigs at 13 and know that they'll be there at 15, right? So that kind of gives you some, at least some options in that regard. Um, so like, you know, I think I put a Baji there. I think he, he might be a little high relative than what I'd really want. Um, I think they'll probably look at Malachi Branham uh, at that pick. I think he, you know, I'd, it, it, I guess it kind of depends on how you feel about Book Knight. Like I, I personally like have a little bit more optimism that Book Knight, you know, with the new coach will probably have more to offer. Um, but if they, you know, if they feel like they want to take another two, two guard, um, I think Williams probably comes into play. You know, Baji's different because he's more of a wing. He's more of an off-ball, uh, off-ball player. Um, but I think both those guys can make sense at 13. Um, you know, kind of depends. I mean, maybe someone falls, you know, like, again, maybe, you know, Williams is there, maybe Duran is there, maybe A.J. Griffin falls to 13. Like, at that point, you got to think about taking him. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, it's not a perfect spot to be in. Um, you know, again, maybe you keep one and trade out or back. Uh, it does give you a lot of options. Um, so that, that those are sort of my initial thoughts on it. Um, the the AJ kind of Griffin ones, yeah. The AJ Griffin slide's interesting because, like, from what everything that I've read and I understand, if AJ Griffin were to slide to thirteen, that probably means there's been a, a medical red flag somewhere, which like other teams which i know you're not saying there has been but um do you think there's a chance 
chance that he could slide even if the even if everything checks out medically like um i i know it's an innocent science here so i'm not expecting you to give definitions but um yeah like do, do you think there is a, a chance that he could potentially slide down into that late lottery range i do i do um it wouldn't surprise me i just i think that uh, there's been a little bit more hype with him than has been, you know, the reality of, you know, what I hear on the NBA uh, with him. You know, I, I think obviously he's a really good shooter. Uh, I think that that is promising. Um, and you're, you know, you're taking the leap of faith that, Hey, we, you know, we hope this guy can stay healthy, uh, you know, regain some athleticism, uh, become a better defender. And, you know, with him, like there are moments where he kind of looked lost defensively, but it's, it's kind of understandable just because, you know, some of these guys coming out of COVID didn't have a lot of game time, you know, with him knowing he was hurt, um, you know, knowing he probably wasn't in great shape for a few years. Um, these things all kind of, you know, this is the type of thing that teams will have a better handle on than me. Um, you know, I, I would think someone probably, if he falls, I would still think he probably goes, you know, 10, 11, 12. Um, but I don't think it's totally crazy that he could be there at 13. Like, uh, it all kind of depends. And again, the medical, you know, it, it could be that maybe the, the agent wants to, just but this is just totally speculative like agents every year will you know when you have a guy with a questionable uh, medical you know you, you can try to control who gets that stuff um in order to kind of like steer your guy to a spot like i don't know if that's something they would want to do um but i don't think like j- just me looking at the draft like I, I think his range really probably starts you know um at 10 like i, I don't i don't know if i see any of the teams before that really how hard they think about it to be honest uh, if you just think about the other options it's interesting with with uh, agents withholding medical information from certain teams because I know the Kings that's happened to them a number of times. Like I don't know of any specific example. In fact, I do know um, Nerlens Noel and the Hornets. I believe they withheld his information from the Hornets back in that draft. I, would you anticipate? Like I think Charlotte seemed to be in a much different place now where. One, they're a more competitive team. There's a little bit kind of like, ha-ha, they're the Charlotte Hornets. That, that's not so much a thing anymore. And also, any player who comes to Charlotte is going to be playing on the mellow ball. He just like automatically will be making people better. Do you feel there's been a bit of a shift in terms of kind of agents now actually viewing Charlotte as a, as a positive landing spot rather than maybe what it would have been five, six, seven years ago? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can really speak directly on that. Like, I, I honestly don't know. Um, yeah. I do think it is a more attractive situation now. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it kind of depends on, uh, you know, what direction they go with the coaching staff, but, um, you know, I, I do think there's a little bit more, uh, appeal, uh, just because they have been a little bit more stable again, having someone like the Lamello in place, uh, you know, if your guy is a good fit there, um, you know, is, is a bonus. Um, and I, you know, I think like, Charlotte, you know, as a market in itself is like not a bad market at all. Like, you know, they have good, you know, I think they care about basketball there. Um, you know, it's not a bad place to be, right? So I, I think it's just um, a matter of fit a lot of the time. And, you know, we'll see how they handle this Bridges situation as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I do think it's probably, you know, in a, in a vacuum, uh, a more appealing place to be than it would have been, you know, five years ago. Okay. So in your last mock, as we discussed, you had Agbaji at 13 and Mark Williams at 15. If you were to do a, another mock today, do you think you would potentially change that? If you got kind of, uh, again, I don't expect this to be sourced, but um, would, would you be looking to change, mix it up a little bit? Or do you still feel pretty comfortable with that kind of like 
mix-up of like a wing plus a big, a 13 and 15. Yeah, I mean, you know, if they keep those picks, that's like logically what I think uh, makes sense. I mean, I think it's possible Williams is gone before 13. Like I could see him going between 10 and 12. So um, I don't know for sure that he's there. Um, but if he is, I mean, I would have to think there's at least some degree of interest because um, he's, he's just such an easy fit. Um, I think every, every mock drafter will be happy yeah, if they took yeah. Williams because everyone, right. everyone gets it right. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's had mm-hmm. it mocked for like a month and I think it will continue to do it. Yeah, probably. I mean, until we know more. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I do think, I do think Malachi Branham is someone that they'll look at seriously, like regardless of the book night situation, like, you know, I, I think he's someone teams do like a lot. Um, someone who, you know, very well could be on the board at 13. Um so, you know, whether they'd take him or Baji, I don't know. Like, personally, I'd probably take Branham, but uh, that's going to come down to, you know, how, you know, Agbaji's closer to playing right away. You know, that's someone who, you know, is a fit, you know, gives you shooting, you know, gives you a body on defense uh, and, and fits with the way that they want to play, right? So, um, you know, I, I would say those guys are probably in the mix there. Uh, you know, Duran, if he's there, probably in the mix there. Um, but after that, it, it gets a lot harder to say because that's kind of where the draft gets foggy. Uh, in terms of, in terms of guessing, it's just a little bit harder to know, uh, and I and I still don't have a, a firm picture because when I do this, you know, I'm always trying to start at the top and work down, um, and so it, it takes a little bit of time to kind of get to that that middle of the first round in terms of how how good I feel about anything. But I think that, it's that's very what I think. Con- yeah, I think it's very convenient that the like general like eleven or twelve group of prospects that everybody really likes like that cuts off like one pick before the Hornets come up it seems like things always kind of end up that way. Like the year that there was no consensus number one, it, you know, it worked out for them because they got LaMelo, but that was the year they jump up into lottery, not when Anthony Davis is coming up uh, and they drop one spot. So it's it, classic uh, Hornets lottery luck, I think. But but if you remember the year of, of Wiseman LaMelo, I, Jeremy, I don't know if you kind of remember that really clearly, but um, there was a lot of smoke about Charlotte being yeah. very interested in Wiseman and maybe drafting up to want to take him. Was that, was that kind of real, that, that interest in Wiseman at the time? Um, honestly, I don't know. Like, I don't know if Charlotte was ever really trying to trade up. Like I do think there was pretty real interest in a Kongwu originally with them. Um, but he had an injury in the pre-draft process that, you know, I think if that had ever been the plan, probably like scuttled some of that. Um, but yeah, I remember there was a point in time where people weren't sure, you know, if they'd take Lamello, um, you know, ended up being the right pick that they did. Um, if they took Wiseman, it, it would have been a tough couple of years. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I think, I think, would not have been good for this podcast. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but I think Lamello and Okongu were like the two guys that were probably most, you know, coming up for that, for that pick, if I remember. Because um, I, you know, most people I think thought that Minnesota was going to take Edwards, at least people I, I had spoken with. Um, that was what I thought the whole time. So. Okay, well, we don't want we don't want to hold you anymore. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Jeremy Wu, SI. I I pray for your sleep for the next month. <laughs> I appreciate I, that. You're gonna get pulled in every direction. I can't believe you actually found time to do this to do this quick podcast. Um, but thank you for taking the time. And um, yeah, we really appreciate it. Love talking draft with you. And you know, maybe we'll touch space with you on the other side once once draft's over. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Jeremy. This was awesome.